God, we give thanks for you this morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for us. Thank you for loving us first, for sending your son. God, we are so grateful. We are so in awe of who you are this morning. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. God, this morning we wait on you. God, in this building, but in our home hubs and online also, we wait for you. Just for a touch of your presence, God for a word to our heart. We are so thankful for you and all that you have done. God, for how you love us. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place this morning and across Gippsland. We thank you for how you are uniting your people. God, you are so good to us. Lord, we are leaning in, tuning in to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's so nice to see so many of you here. Uh, Why don't you, where you can, just uh, turn and wave and say hello. Uh, Smile with your eyes at those around you wearing masks. They can't see your teeth, so make sure your eyes are really giving it a go. And to our online team, thank you. To our online, to our home hubs and our people watching online at home, we're so glad to have you joining here with us as well. We hope you feel the love uh, that we are directing to you. Isn't it great to be in the building, though? Wonderful to see so many of you here. I've just got a few announcements, a few quick things. Um, So if you uh, like to be writing things down in a diary so that you remember them, that's the kind of person I am. I need to write it down, otherwise, whoop, straight out the brain. So if you need to write it down or pull out your phone. Otherwise, uh, can I, before I hit these announcements, an awesome place to always find the announcements is on the Church Centre app. So if you don't have the Church Centre app downloaded yet, can I encourage you, get on the bandwagon. It's awesome. It's had a little facelift in the last week or so, so it's a bit more user-friendly as well. Our small group uses it uh, as our our messenger as well, so we have a group chat on there. Uh, It's a really great app that sort of keeps you in touch with what's happening in the life of church. In case you forget to write down any of these announcements, you'll be able to find them there as well. Uh, SBC Kids. It's okay. I'm going to give you another opportunity. You ready? SBC Kids. Yeah, that's good. Uh, And those are online at home as well. SBC Kids is running in person and on Zoom at the same time. It's incredible. So that's happening now. So uh, after the MC spot, there'll be a banner on the screen and you guys will be able to head out. But you can also, uh, if you're at home, you can tune the kids in on Zoom while you continue to watch the rest of the service. So that's awesome. Uh, We'd love to have you joining in that way. Uh, There's a link in the newsletter Uh, that gets emailed to you for how to join in with the Kids Zoom, or you can find that on our website as well. Uh, Another little thing that's coming up is we're having our members meeting slash team night. So if you are a member slash serve on a team slash are a part of SBC, uh, we'd love for you to join us for that. So that's happening in a couple of ways. So it's the 23rd of November. Everyone is welcome. It will be online and in person. Um, So you need to let us know that you're coming along to that, and you can do that 
in lots of different ways, but you'll get an email with all the documents and information about that coming up. Cool? Amazing. So that's on the 23rd of November at 7 p.m. The other awesome thing is this just snuck up here, my helpful, helpful, helpful helper, Pastor Brad. Uh, this is, does anyone remember what these are called? It's a box, you're right. It's a cardboard box. Well done. Gold star for everybody. This is our reverse advent calendar box. You'll remember that we have been putting these boxes together last year, definitely, but the year before as well, I think. No, last year. I loved this so much, it went under my Christmas tree because I'm one of those people who puts their Christmas tree up in November. Whatever feelings you have about that, have them. I know that uh, Pastor Brad and Alana have their tree up already, so I'm in good company there. Um, So you pop this under your tree and uh, you count down, and rather than when you, a traditional advent calendar, you open a gift, in this case, you put something in. And so uh, there'll be more information coming about these, there'll be a bit of a push on our social media, all that kind of thing, but you can collect a box from the foyer this morning, uh, and if you're joining us online, just let us know. Uh, you can pop in and collect one from the office, or we can arrange to get one to you if you would prefer. Um, these boxes are awesome. It's a great reminder under the tree uh, that Christmas is not just about what we receive, <laughs> but that it is about uh, the season is about the birth of Jesus and about how we spread that message of hope and love to our community, and this is a great way to do that. So if you have any questions, Pastor Jackie is the lady uh, who will be able to help you out with that, but um, you can pick up your box and stay tuned for more information about these in the coming weeks. Cool? Amazing. I'm just going to pray for us, and the team is going to continue to lead us in worship. God. We thank you that you're a good God who cares for us. We thank you that uh, you are uh, in control. We thank you that um, you love us so deeply. And we just uh, tune in to you this morning. We thank you for the word that you have given Pastor Brad for this morning. And we ask that um, it would land well in our hearts and that we would hear from you and be changed, God, not just uh, tuning in or being present out of routine, but that we would hear from you in a new and fresh way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace this morning. God, we thank you that you have freed us from sin, from shame, from everything that could hold us back. And God, that you have secured eternity for us. You've made a way for us to to know you, not just for today, but forever, for all eternity. And God, I pray this morning that we would know that eternal grace, eternal hope that we have in you. And God, as we gather all across homes, all across Gippsland this morning, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would unify us as only you can. God, that you help us to love each other well, to love you well, and to hear your Holy Spirit. God, we lift up these next moments to you and we ask that you would have your way, that you would speak to us and you would transform our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please grab a seat. Good morning. Good morning online. Good morning, Home Hubs. Those in the building, it's great to have you with us. And it's good to see some sun out. I don't know if you got much rain at your place. Apparently there was a bit around. It's very good. Thanks, Neil. Do I want effects for my message? What can you do for me? Can you make, like double up my voice? Give us a, 
an echo or something? Every time I say something good, it says amen automatically. <laughs> Preach it, Brad. Yeah, something like that would be good. We'll work on that for next week. <laughs> that wouldn't be distracting at all, would it? Oh, very good. Um, so we, we've got our reverse Advent calendar boxes out in the foyers, um, Pastor Lauren said. It's great to have Pastor Lauren back in the office, by the way, in case you missed that detail. She's back from her, somewhat back, not, I mean, she's not back at her full capacity. She's um, back in some capacity, though, which is really cool, um, back in the office. Um, alongside of our, that wasn't what I was going to talk about, but we've got our reverse Advent calendar boxes, which are out in the foyer. Another type of box, I mean, this is, there's so many boxes around at the moment. Over the last couple of weeks, we've um, had delivered and then we've given to Samaritan's Purse is our, um, the shoe boxes, what are they called? The Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Tile. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Paul McLaren. Is... Shout out to Paul. Great to have um, Paul and Hannah back in a few weeks. Anyway, um, Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. We have collected and sent um, out, I think, over 130 shoeboxes from um, SBC, which is incredible. And you might have gone, I didn't know anything about that. I didn't give one. How did they get to 130? I mean, it's just incredible. I think Lock Sport alone, Lock Sport, shout out to our friends in Lock Sport, uh, 90, I think, from Lock Sport. I mean, yeah, wow, and shame on us. In, the, in sale? I mean, come on. Anyway, it's not a competition, but next year we're going to do better. <coughs> we will make it a competition. <laughs> no, we won't, but um, be praying for those shoeboxes as they head overseas and um, into much-needed hands. Because um, for those who don't know, Operation Christmas Child put together um, these shoeboxes and then you put these gifts in for, for kids of different ages uh, and they go to countries in different places around the world where they might not get any other present. That might be the only gift they get for Christmas. Um, and inside those shoeboxes are some essential items, also some toys, also um, some sort of um, kids' Bible or kids' sort of gospel um, tract, if you like, for them to, to hear the good news of Jesus and what Christmas is all about. So it's just a all-in-one little great shoebox package um, that goes around the world, which is fantastic. Cool. Well, this morning, we are beginning a three-week series in Titus. Titus. Does anyone know a Titus? Good name. If you um, need a child's name and you are having a child, we're not. We've just had one. Um, and you might have heard her. She's, if you turn around, you'll see a pram at the back there, and that's her in the pram. It's her second Sunday. She was here last Sunday, but it's her first time hearing us hearing the word live, I think, in the actual auditorium, which is a big moment. Anyway, I'm babbling. Titus chapter 1. <laughs> Come on, Brad, pour it together. Titus chapter 1. Here we go. We're going to read the whole chapter, the whole chapter, which is 16 verses, and we're going to end up reading the whole book of Titus in three short weeks. Um, it's incredible that we could get through a whole book of the Bible in three weeks, but it's a short book, and I encourage you to read along at home, um, to pick up Titus and have a have a read, have a meditation time through it each week. Um, there's going to be so much that we don't get to. Obviously, when we're reading a whole chapter in a week, we're not going to, we could spend hours on each chapter, um, but we're just going to hit some of the, what I think are the high points that we need to hone in on. So let's read verse 1, 
Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie, that's an important little phrase there, who cannot, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time he revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Saviour. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who were not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Strong words. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, we thank you that it is able to teach us your truth. It's able to transform our lives. And God, we pray that it would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't know if you've ever been scuba diving. Hands up if you've ever been scuba diving before. Maybe snorkeling. We can count snorkeling as well. Snorkeling, scuba diving, yeah. I mean, I remember going scuba diving for the first time on our honeymoon, actually, at the Great Barrier Reef, and um, it was phenomenal. And when you, I mean, for the first time you go scuba diving, it is just a surreal experience because snorkeling is one thing where you're sort of like just on top of the water, looking down, and you can see all the fish, and if you're in a shallow reef, it's a... It's great, and you can see what's going on. But when you're scuba diving and you get down to sort of that 10-metre depth and then you look up and you see fish above you and below you and beside you, and then you see darkness one way, I mean, it, it can be terrifying, but it's also exhilarating at the same time. Um, and it, gets, it gives you a sense of what it's like to be a fish in, in one way. I mean, you're sort of in this world where nothing, there's no sound, you can't hear anything. I imagine fish can have some sense of hearing. I'm not a marine biologist, but it's, it's a different world. And although it gives you a sense that, of, of what a fish must live like, or a turtle, or a shark, or whatever else lives under the ocean, it doesn't make you a fish, does it? It doesn't make me a fish. And, and I'm sure to the fish swimming around, they look at humans that are scuba diving, they go, you're not one of us. And it's quite obvious that we're not one of them, to them, I reckon. Um, be like if we saw a fish starting to just walk on land, if they worked out some sort of anti-scuba diving gear that would enable them to breathe in air above the water. And, I mean, they would obviously need 
they need a lot more scientific advances in their world to be able to do that, but who's saying it couldn't happen? Um, when you're scuba diving, it's obvious that you're not a fish. You're like a fish in that moment, but you're not a fish. Um, you're in the same environment, but you're obviously different. And if there was a theme of the book of Titus, it would be that. That you are to be in the world, but not of the world. You are to be in amongst culture. You are be, to be in amongst society. But you are to look and sound and be different. It should be obvious that when someone looks at you, that you are somehow different to what is around them. We're going to see this through the book of Titus, that how we're to live out our faith in the church, in the home, and in the community. And this bottom line, live in the world, but not of the world. Live in the world, but not of the world. So, Titus is um, a an apostle of Jesus, a, a disciple, if you like, of Paul, similar to Timothy. In fact, Timothy and Titus are often grouped together in any sort of commentary or any sort of um, New Testament book that you might read about um, the epistles. Timothy and Titus are often grouped together because they are what are referred to as pastoral epistles in, in the sense that they are written to pastors and personally to pastors. So we've got a lot of other books like Ephesians, Colossians, um, we've got 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and we've got these other ones that are written, and they're written in different ways to different churches, to different groups, but here we've got pastoral epistles which are written to Timothy and Titus, um, who need some leadership development or need some leadership insight in how to pastorally lead the churches that they find themselves in. And so they're often bundled together in these three um, pastoral letters. Timothy and Titus obviously have different sort of themes and messages um, and so for Titus it's, a, it's this idea of, of what it looks like to live in the world but not be of the world, of what it means to, to have a, a culture that is obviously not, it's definitely not Jewish, it's a Gentile culture and how it is to, how the church is to operate in such a way that it would be transformational for the community that, in which they live. And so for us in Australia, in our time, I think Titus is a, a, a letter that we should lean into and read um, carefully because we find ourselves in a culture that is not a Christian culture that needs um, wisdom in how we are to live out our faith. Crate, um, if you know the Mediterranean Sea, if you're any good with geography, you know Crate is a, a long skinny island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and so it was uh, an important um, island in the sense of it was strategic in its location, had lots of ports around its, um, its island. Paul travelled to Crete on one of his missionary journeys with Titus, it seems, and left Titus in Crete to continue the missionary journey. And so in Crete there was lots of um, what you might call house churches, lots of different smaller gatherings of Christians, much what we're um, setting up at the moment um, with home hubs and, and online church. Um, and so Titus was left with pastoral oversight of all these different house churches. So he was not a pastor of a church per se, but he was an overseer of different churches that were operating. And, and like I said before, I think Titus, if you were to break up Titus into three chapters in which we're going to do, uh, you might say the first chapter is really about how you live out faith in the church. 
The second chapter would be how you live out faith in the home. And the third one would be how you live out your faith in the community. And so it's sort of, it's, it's well written in that sense of it starts at the church and moves to the home and then moves into the community and how that, those threefold influences uh, affect how we have the gospel spread throughout, um, around the world and around our, our, our circle of influence. Living in the world, but not of the world. And I think it's the tension of living as dedicated followers of Jesus and not culture um, that we need to grapple with today. What does it look like to live as a dedicated follower of Jesus um, and not of culture, but still live in culture and society without necessarily waging war against it? Because I think there's this, there's this tension as a Christian. We can, we can live in the culture and then just accept everything that culture and society says and does and go, well, we're just going to... We're not going to look anything different. We're just going to be and look the same, um, which is not what the message of Titus is talking about. Or we can go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum and go, culture and society is so bad, we need to wage war against it and stand out so obviously that we're going to be speaking out against everything that society and culture stands for. And I think Titus is is written in this way that there's got to be this ability to to walk in culture and walk in society in a way that you're accepted by culture and society around you, but still so obviously different that you have an influence in it for good. This is where the Cretans found themselves. They were living corrupt lives because of the way of life in Crete. The culture was being elevated to a godlike place in the church. Christians should live in such a way that best represents Jesus to a Gentile world, to a world that doesn't know Jesus or follow him. And this is the theme of these pastoral epistles, both in 1 Timothy and in Titus. So you've got things like um, in 1 Timothy 6 verse, verse 1, it says, so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. In Titus um, chapter 2, you hear phrases like, so that God's word will not be slandered. Um, your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us, so that they may adorn the teaching of God and our Saviour in everything. So Paul writes Titus and Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, so that when people see you, they'll be able to say nothing bad against you and so that they'll be able to see how to live themselves as followers of Jesus. How to live in the world, but not of the world. In the world, not of the world. And so let's look at, we're going to break this into three sections, chapter 1. I'm going to look at verses 1 to 4 first, just the opening remarks. So let's read it again. It says this, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, the God who cannot lie promised before time began. In his own time, he, was revealed, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I entrusted by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. If there was something that Cretans were known for, it was lying. It was being deceitful. It was for being dishonest, for using dishonesty for their gain. And this um, traces right back to some Greek gods, and particularly the god, um, the Greek god Zeus, who was known as um, a deceptor, um, someone who would use deception to lure in um, women and 
and sort of get his way and have what he wanted. And so this was the, the culture in which Crate was um, formed, if you like. The foundation was um, based on this idea of deception and lying as getting what you want, as being the basis for getting what you want. And so you can imagine that bringing the gospel to a place that has that as the underpinning of its foundation is going to need substantial transformation. And that was really what um, Titus was given the charge by Paul in his letter to work with and work against and and transform. And so that phrase where um, in verse 2, in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, is so pivotal for this opening um, letter or this the opening of this letter for, for Titus to see that this is what we need to work towards, is this idea of honesty, of truth, of, um, of being who um, God wants you to be. God cannot lie. He is the God of truth. And the difference between culture and the God that we serve is that our God is full of truth and hope. And Paul writes this to Titus. In, in Crete, you've got lying and deception all around you, but our God is a God of truth and of hope. Looking at our culture today, I think there's so many parallels to what we find in, in our culture compared to what you, you would find in Crete in, in this time. And my observation, and this is just my observation, this is just, just stepping outside of what Scripture is teaching us at the moment, and this is my observation of culture and how this truth relates to it. My observation of culture at the moment is that truth is God. Truth is God. We live in a time when science and truth is elevated to a God-like place, where what is proven, what is scientific, is God, and that truth is to be served. That truth is to be worshipped, if you like. Dedicate your life to whatever that truth is. And I think it's a subtle deception because it, it's truth. It's science. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying none of it's true and none of it's, none of it's right. But when it's elevated to a place of God in our lives, in our culture, we have problems. Because you can't argue with truth. You can't argue with it. And for us as Christians, and we're going to look more at this in week three, we need to not be afraid of science and truth and what it uncovers about the world, what it uncovers about the universe, what it uncovers about humanity, what it uncovers about anything. Because we serve the God of truth. We serve the God who determines what truth is and who has spoken the world in. And so we're just discovering how he's created the world, if you like, or how he's created the world. And not only of truth is he the God of, but he is the God of hope as well. And you see what the God of today doesn't offer is any hope. It just deals in facts. It just deals in truth. This is how it is. And this is what will happen, or this is what has happened, but this is the truth. And it's as black and white as that. It doesn't deal in hope. Whereas our God deals in truth and in hope. He holds both in his hands. And why does he do that? Because he is God eternal. Look back here in verse 2. It says, In the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. 
He sees everything. He is God eternal. And so while we in our culture today discover truth, discover new things about life and about the world around us, God has discovered it all. In fact, he created it all. And so he sees life and he sees truth from beginning to end and all at the same time. And he has hope because he knows what's coming. He knows what is around the corner, both tomorrow and eternity. You see, you could unpack verses 1 to 4 and look at just this eternal nature of God, that he is God of the distant past before creation. He is God of the the near past or the recent past where he created. He is God of the present, of the near future and the distant future. He is God over all eternity. And he is the God of truth. He offers hope in the midst of knowing all that he does. All that we know and far, far more, he gives us hope. He says, I know the future and it is good for those who trust in me. And so I think even just in that opening, you could meditate on this idea that he is the God who cannot lie. He is the God of hope and of truth. He is the God of eternity. But we'll move on, otherwise we will not get through the rest of the chapter and then we'll be all out of whack. Verses 5 to 9. Verses 5 to 9. So here we see, begin to see how Paul's um, strategy to helping Titus overcome this is not by changing people's behaviours, but really helping him determine the, the importance of people's character. Um, and you might have heard a phrase like character trumping competency. And I think this idea is just highlighted in these verses that the character of a Christian is so much more important than the competency of a Christian. What goes on in your heart, what goes on in your home, what goes in your private life, your character, is what determines your influence in the world around you. God is so much more concerned with who you are than what you do. Because who you are will determine what you do. However, there, there are times when it's tempting to focus on what we do so that we have, um, or we give people a certain perception of who we are. And that's what was happening here um, in Crete. That people and the elders and the leaders were acting in a way so that people might perceive them as Christian people. Where Paul is saying, it's, don't put on these things, be this kind of person have this sort of character. And so in verses 5 to 9, let's read it again. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and, as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder. So now he begins to unpack. This is what I want you to look for in in an elder. And notice what he doesn't talk about. He doesn't talk about how well they preach. He doesn't talk about how well they, um, how strategic their vision is or all the skills they might need, but he really talks about their character. This is what he hones in on. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he'll be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Bottom line, they should be able to live what they preach. 
faithful at home, humble, gentle, self-controlled, generous, warm, inviting, kind. I mean, you just see the fruits of the Spirit coming out here, don't you? That God is really looking for people who are full of right character, who decide to pursue godly character and then watch their godly behaviours follow. It's easy to be who you are. It's hard to be who you are not. It's easy to be a scuba diver, scuba diving with fish. It's hard to be a fish. It's hard to be something you're not. You can try as as much as you like, but at some point you're going to run out of oxygen. At some point the diet's just not going to sustain your body enough. At some point it's just not going to work. And the same thing happens when we try to be something that our character is not. It's just going to fizzle. It's not going to last. It's not going to be, have the influence that we hoped that it might. When we are who God wants us to be, it's, it will be easy to do what God wants us to do. When we're not who God wants us to be, it will be hard to do what God wants us to do. We are to live in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. We are to be who God has called us to be. And then we'll be able to live the way God has called us to live. These verses highlight the foundation of what it means to, um, to be not of the world, of the difference it might look like, the character difference it might have. And then in verses 10 to 16, we begin to see what it looks like to, to try to be something you are and the results of that, of what happens when you try to be something that you're not. And that was what was happening with some of these leaders. So verse 10 to 16, let's read. For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are liars, evil beasts, lazy lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Empty talk. Talk without lifestyle. Deception. This was the heart of what was going on in Crete is that were deceptive, empty talk, not living what they were professing to preach. They were liars, and this is really the root problem of Crete, lying, dishonesty. And this is the question that we have to ask ourselves, is does our life match our confession? Or are people confused or misled when they hear what you say and then see what you do? This was the problem that Titus was embarking on dealing with. Because it wasn't just a problem for those people. Sometimes we can think that our dishonesty or our lack of character is just bad for us. It's just bad for our walk with God. It's just bad for our own conscience. But I want you to see something here that it's so much bigger than just you. In verse 11, it says, It is necessary to silence them, 
they are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. I mean, they're strong words. I mean, this whole last section is very strong because of the impact that it has, because of the influence that it has. It's not just a problem for the person who is dishonest or full of empty talk. It was a problem for the church and the community too. It was ruining entire households. And we'll speak next week more about households, but this is right at the heart of God, what goes on in the home. I mean, there is a lot to speak about through the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, about how the the home is supposed to function and why that is so important, because what comes from the home will come out in society. What starts in the home will affect the influence that we have in the world around us. It's right at the heart of God, what is going on at home. From the home comes your life. From your private activity comes your public influence, both in a negative sense and a positive sense. What happens at home comes out in public. Be who God has called you to be and the rest will follow. And this is what Paul is getting at when he talks about this idea of the circumcision party. I mean, it's a funny phrase. It's not a party you want to necessarily attend or get an invitation to. Definitely not RSVP to and go along to, I don't think anyway. Um, And it wasn't a, a party as in that sense. It wasn't a celebration. It was more of a party as in a political party, um, but I think it's a funny joke anyway, circumcision party. Didn't get any laughs anyway, so it's not very funny, it just sounds painful. Anyway, um, but Titus was a Greek, Titus was a Greek, and that's why this is relevant to, to Titus and to the Cretan culture, is that it was a Greek nation, it was a Gentile um, culture, and so there was, circumcision was not culturally happening, they weren't Jewish, but what was happening was the leaders were saying, well, we need to be circumcised. In order to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be circumcised, and so we're going to be preaching circumcision. We're going to be preaching Jewish culture. And so the the implications of this are big because what was happening is that the leaders of the, the churches, the dishonest ones that are talked about, the false teachers in this section, were trying to, to change Cretan culture in the wrong way. They were, try, they were trying to say that there's nothing good about Cretan culture. We need to make everyone look and sound and behave like Jews. That's the only way they'll be saved. And so this is where the idea, begin, you begin to see this idea of living in the world. And so there is a real sense that Paul was saying to Titus, you are to sound and look like Cretan still. There's, we're not abolishing Crete. We're not trying to get rid of that culture and that society. In fact, we're trying to redeem it. We're trying to live in that culture. We don't need people to be circumcised. That's not the problem. That's not the problem here. The problem is that they don't look like Jews. The problem is they don't look like God's children. The problem is they don't have the character that God is desiring that they would have. And so when we look at our Australian culture and when we look at what's around us, there are parts of culture that we can be tempted to go, well, we need to change that so it looks like this. Whereas we need to look at what's listed in verses 5 to 9 and say, what is the character that God wants us to see redeemed? What is the, the character of our own hearts and of the homes and the, and the families in our culture that God is really um, desiring to see change, to see transformed? And so 
um, this idea of living in the world, we begin to see. It's not important if you are or are not circumcised. And, and we know that today, and we thank God for that today, that we're not having circumcision parties, and that that's not a part of church um, activity, um, because I feel like our um, growth strategy would be shot in the foot before we even began. But some were making it so that that was what was had to happen. Focusing their efforts on law instead of grace. Focusing their efforts on behavior instead of character. On the heart. Today, like I said, we don't have a circumcision party telling us that we all need to be circumcised. But we do have our own religious qualifications that we tend to focus in on rather than the character and the heart transformation that Paul was highlighting. And we all have our own religious qualifications that in our mind are the most important. And whether it's to do with church activity or whether it's to do with behaviours um, in, in society, we have our own ideas of Christians should dress like this, they should speak like this, they should give this much money, they should serve in this way. They should be involved in this sort of missions organisation. You know, we have our own sort of idea of what Christians should do. And I'm not saying that any of those are bad things. But if that becomes our focus, then this letter is pertinent to us. Because God would say to us, start at the heart. Start at the home. See what's going on there. Because from there, the fruit follows. From there, the influence comes. The heart of the gospel is not about what we do, but it's about who we are and who God has made us to be, who God has saved us to become. We are saved by the grace of God. We see that um, more so in chapters 2 and 3 of Titus, but just to highlight in chapter 2, it says, verse 15, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Grace saves us and transforms us. It changes who we are, which will change what we do. Our transformation begins in private, which then overflows into the public space. And so I think the challenge for us this morning is this, is what's going on at home? What is the character of your own heart? It's easy to look at others and say, this should change, that should change. But our real influence comes from our own character and what happens in our own homes, in our own And when I say homes, I mean just in your own private life. When it's just you. What goes on there? What goes on in your own mind, in your own heart? Let the grace of God transform that and then the influence will spread. The influence will come. So next week we'll look at chapter 2. And chapter 2 is going to hone in more on the home and what it looks like to to live out your faith at home. And then in, in chapter 3, we're going to see how that spreads into society and how the Christian is to live in culture and society at large. So I encourage you to, to keep reading through Titus, to keep, and if you've got things that you see, I'd love to hear your insights because it all helps me put it all together. You know, we learn from each other. Um, but also to be just praying and asking God to, to show you what it is that he wants to teach you. You know, the Holy Spirit is our best teacher. I mean, I'm okay, but I've got nothing on the Holy Spirit. 
And if you're just turning up on a Sunday and hoping this will get me through, this will keep my spiritual journey going, it's not enough. It's not enough. It begins at home. This is what this message is about. It begins at home. Let the Holy Spirit teach you in truth every day. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your, your grace that saves us, that redeems us, that gives us all that we need. And God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that's able to, to teach us your truth and transform our hearts. And God, we pray that you would continue to do that for all of us. God, we want to be a church of influence. We want to be a, a people that uh, are shining lights in the world around us. When people see us, they see that there is something different. There is something attractive and ultimately it's you and your grace in our life. God, we pray that you would help us not to blend into culture so much that we're unrecognisable as any different or that we would not stand out so much that we're just waging war against everything. But God, we would live in culture, live in society in a way that brings you glory and brings people to see the goodness and the grace that you've given to us. God, we thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us and we pray that you would continue to transform us and transform our church and transform our community, transform our homes. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, Stick around if you're in the building for some tea and coffee, I think is on. If you're in a home hub, maybe there's going to be some tea and coffee there too. Um, And otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.